This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, how can one tell the difference between a psychopath and a narcissist? So this is kind of a complex question because these constructs are complex. So I'm going to start by defining both of the terms. So when we use the term psychopath, we're talking about someone who has trait psychopathy. And when we use the term narcissist, we're talking about someone who has trait narcissism. Neither one of these constructs is automatically indicative of pathology. So what I mean by that is if somebody has psychopathy, that doesn't mean they have a mental disorder. If somebody has narcissism, that doesn't mean they have a mental disorder. Mental disorders are classifications we see in places like the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM, but they don't necessarily relate to traits, like certain traits that cluster together that we would call psychopathy or we would call narcissism. So psychopathy has two main parts to it, two main types, and narcissism does as well. So with psychopathy, we see there's both primary and secondary psychopathy. Sometimes these are called factor one and factor two psychopathy. And what makes this more confusing is sometimes factor one psychopathy is called psychopathy, and factor two psychopathy is called sociopathy. So that's where we get the words psychopath and sociopath. A psychopath would be someone who has factor one psychopathy, and a sociopath would be someone who has factor two psychopathy. Now, sometimes when we hear these terms, we think of the mental disorder, antisocial personality disorder. Again, this is a separate construct. But of the two, sociopathy, factor two psychopathy, has a much stronger relationship with antisocial personality disorder than does factor one psychopathy or primary psychopathy. So here, when I talk about someone who's a psychopath, I'm mostly talking about, of course, factor one psychopathy, primary psychopathy. Now, when we talk about narcissism, again, as I mentioned, there's two constructs here, two types of narcissism. We have grandiose and we have vulnerable. Now, grandiose narcissism lines up fairly well with the mental disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, but again, that doesn't mean they're the same thing. And here, I'll really be mostly referring to grandiose narcissism and a little bit to vulnerable narcissism. So real quickly here, I'll go through some of the traits we see with all four of these constructs, and I'll start getting into some of the areas of overlap and how we can tell the two apart, the two main constructs apart. So I'll start with psychopathy and then move to narcissism. So with primary psychopathy, and again, this is what I'm mostly talking about here when I talk about the word psychopath, we see characteristics like being callous, unemotional, pathological lying, being manipulative, and being bold. We call this fearless dominance. With factor two psychopathy, we see characteristics like being irresponsible, being impulsive, having a need for stimulation, and being involved in activities that could result in arrest. Moving over to narcissism, we talk about grandiose narcissism. We see a grandiose sense of self-importance. We see someone who has a lot of fantasies of success and power. They tend to be jealous, have a sense of entitlement, be arrogant, and try to manipulate people. With vulnerable narcissism, we see some of the same characteristics, 
but it's really a different expression of narcissism. It tends to be an expression that involves more insecurity, hypersensitivity to criticism, shame, guilt, and sadness. So moving back to this comparison between the psychopath and the narcissist, it's important to recognize that there's a lot of overlap between these constructs. There's actually quite a bit of overlap. And many people who have traits from psychopathy would have traits from narcissism. And the opposite is true as well. So it makes distinguishing these two sets of traits very difficult. With all the overlap and all of the co-occurrence, this is when the traits appear at the same time in the same person. It just gets very tough to distinguish them. So in order to distinguish them, I'm going to look at this in terms of three ways. I'm going to talk about features of narcissism that I would not expect to see normally in psychopathy. And then features of psychopathy I wouldn't expect to see normally in narcissism. And then I'm going to talk about features that appear in both. And of course, there's a lot of features here. There are a lot of features that appear in both. But how they can sometimes manifest differently. And this is where it gets really challenging, but also I think this is the best way to tell them apart, is to really look at the areas of similarity and see how those areas manifest differently. If you just look at traits that you wouldn't expect to see in the other, that's a little bit simplistic and doesn't give you a good idea clinically of how to distinguish these different traits. So first I'll start with the features of narcissism that I wouldn't expect to see with psychopathy. Again, keep in mind there's a lot of overlap and it's not unusual to see the same traits in both psychopaths and narcissists. So the first trait I wouldn't expect to see in psychopathy that we see with narcissism would be envy. Envy is one of those characteristics that's much more strongly associated with narcissism because it has an emotional component. And with psychopathy, we don't see much of an emotional component. Jealousy is really a feeling. The next one is a need for admiration. I think this is a fairly good way to distinguish the two. Somebody with narcissism has this need for excessive admiration. And somebody with psychopathy, that's really not as important to them. We don't see a lot of emphasis on, again, relational, emotional, and affective aspects. So aspects dealing with feelings. With narcissism, we see someone believes that they're special or unique. We see some of this in psychopathy, but again, it's not as pronounced. We also see with narcissism an expectation of loyalty from other people and believing other people should do them special favors. We call this a sense of entitlement. We see this a little bit with psychopathy, but again, much more pronounced in narcissism. The next characteristic is arrogance. This is much stronger in narcissism than it is in psychopathy. And I think one of the reasons that this is an area that's viewed as overlapping a lot is because some of the callous, unemotional attitudes we see with psychopathy can appear arrogant. But with narcissism, we have arrogance really in a truer sense of the word. We see someone who's condescending, pretentious, haughty, and supercilious, and we don't really necessarily see that with psychopathy. Now, the last area that we see with narcissism and probably would not see with psychopathy is actually from vulnerable narcissism. And this is that hypersensitivity to criticism element I talked about before. Individuals who have vulnerable narcissism or covert narcissism as opposed to grandiose or overt tend to be hypersensitive. They tend not to like criticism. Somebody who's psychopathic doesn't usually worry too much about criticism. That's not a factor that really hits them hard typically. Again, it's relational and emotional, and that's not an area where they're really 
paying a lot of attention normally. Now, in talking about the features of psychopathy that I wouldn't expect to see in narcissism, the first one would be not being sensitive to punishment. Individuals who are psychopathic are not sensitive to punishment. That doesn't mean that punishment won't deter them from some criminal acts or some bad acts, but in general, we view that they're very resistant to worrying about punishment. So that is a trait that more or less facilitates criminal activity. But with narcissism, we see that people are aware of punishment and generally want to avoid punishment. The next feature of psychopathy would be low neuroticism or low negative emotions. So not being depressed and not being anxious and not having other negative emotions. This is somebody who also doesn't panic very easily. Low neuroticism. Now with narcissism, we don't see that. We usually see mid-range neuroticism and even high neuroticism. So this is an area that distinguishes the two, I think, fairly reliably. The next area here is being unemotional. And this includes unemotional decision-making. We see this with psychopathy. We don't really see this with narcissism. Sometimes people look at a narcissist and say that they're unemotional, but emotions are part of the narcissistic personality profile. They're not really part of psychopathy. Another area is lack of guilt. We tend to see this with psychopathy, not as much with narcissism. And again, I think this gets confused with lack of empathy. So people will say, well, a narcissist, they don't have guilt because they lack empathy. Guilt is a different construct. So we do actually see a fair amount of guilt with narcissism. Again, very little with psychopathy. And the last area here that I'd expect to see with psychopathy, but not with narcissism, would be this ability to be cold and calculating. Now, again, there's overlap, so we do see this characteristic with both traits, but it's much stronger with psychopathy, especially when we consider psychopaths who commit serious criminal acts. They're really quite cold and calculating and can harm people without really having much of an emotional response. I would not normally expect to see that with just trait narcissism. So that brings me to the last area to distinguish psychopaths from narcissists, and that would be features that appear in both but manifest differently. So if we look at some of the overlap areas, I'm going to go through and talk about them and just how they might appear a little bit differently from one trait to the other. And sometimes the differences are really quite subtle. Now the first one is grandiosity. We see grandiosity in both psychopathy and narcissism, but really it's a combination of factors. It's the first symptom criterion in narcissistic personality disorder, but I view it as really a composite of other symptom criteria. So grandiosity can be a bit murky, but I generally think we see more grandiosity with narcissism and more facets of grandiosity, more of an expression of entitlement and envy and requiring excessive admiration, which I all think kind of feed into that grandiosity. That's, in my opinion, more pronounced with narcissism. Now the next area is fantasies of success, wealth, power. So some people say, well, this is really something that's unique to narcissism, and it doesn't really have a large role in psychopathy. But I disagree. I think that actually fantasies of power and success are something we see with both psychopaths and narcissists. So to illustrate this difference, this difference in how fantasies are expressed, I'm going to use an example based on an old movie. So this old movie uh, that came out in 1980 called Airplane, and the title is 
airplane with an exclamation mark. So you don't see many titles of movies that have exclamation marks. Now, I thought it was a pretty funny movie, arguably one of the most humorous movies, certainly of the time. And the basic plot of the movie was that there was this airliner and the pilots became incapacitated and one of the passengers had to attempt to land the plane. So consider this as the start of a fantasy. So you have somebody who's psychopathic and somebody who's narcissistic and you give them that setup, the setup from the movie Airplane. And you say, look, the pilots have become incapacitated and you're called upon now to attempt to land the plane. And they have a fantasy. They each have a fantasy about how this would turn out. Now, they wouldn't necessarily tell you that fantasy, but let's pretend that you would know what it is, that you could somehow read their minds and you could know what the fantasy was and how it played out. So with narcissism, I think the fantasy would be fairly pro-social. I think in the narcissistic fantasy, the passenger, the narcissist, would go into the cockpit. They would take control of the plane very confidently. They would communicate in kind of a condescending way with the tower, suggesting that there's more difficulties with the airplane than the tower is recognizing, and it's more of a challenge than the tower is really saying it is, kind of setting up an antagonistic relationship with the people in the tower, and again, noticing or pretending that the plane is also damaged in some way. So not just that they have to land the plane, which would be hard enough, but there's this extra hurdle that they're really doing something incredibly extraordinary instead of just extraordinary. And I think most of the time their fantasy would conclude with them successfully landing the plane under tough conditions, under conditions where they had to do something different than what they were instructed to do, which makes them kind of more of a hero because they recognize something that, again, the people in the tower couldn't see. And they save the lives of all the passengers, and of course the pilots get medical attention and they're okay. So I think with narcissism, the outcome would be, the fantasy would be, again, very pro-social and everybody was fine. It was a good outcome and they overcame something really amazing to have that outcome. And the reason that I think this fantasy is more consistent with narcissism is because it really feeds into the narcissistic mentality. They're going to get a lot of admiration. They're going to be thought of as special or unique. They're probably going to be able to feed that sense of entitlement because people will want to interview them. People will want to pay them to endorse products. All kinds of good things would probably happen to somebody who could be so heroic. Now, what about the psychopath? What about somebody who has psychopathic tendencies? Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland news producer 
and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. Well, I think there's a few different directions that this scenario could go. I think one scenario could be, and again, this is a fantasy, so it's going to break from reality quite a bit. I think one fantasy could be that the psychopath takes all the money and all the jewelry from the passengers and exits the plane and the plane crashes. So they get all the money and there's really no witnesses of what happened. Now, again, I know it's not really feasible to jump out of a commercial jetliner, but I think that would be something that could be part of a psychopathic fantasy. I think another fantasy, though, could be that they go into the cockpit and they take control of the plane. They don't have any other problems they invent. They're very calculating. They move through all the steps. They land the plane successfully, and they're thinking the whole time about how they're going to be rewarded, how they're going to get money, not so much fame, but money and maybe even uh, people having some sort of romantic interest in them. So again, really focused on pleasure. So when we look at something like this, kind of this silly example from the movie, I think we see a different expression of narcissism and psychopathy in that fantasy symptom or sign. So moving down the list to the next area of overlap, this would be manipulation. And I think this is an area where people would say it's almost identical. The manipulation is the same from narcissism to psychopathy, and I would disagree. I think if we look at the manipulation for narcissism, this is much more emotionally based, like trying to make somebody feel sorry for them. It has an interpersonal component to it, as we see in the symptom criterion for narcissistic personality disorder. I think with psychopathy, it's much simpler. It's to gain something, again, material. So just like the fantasy, the end of it here for psychopathy would be what type of material gain or pleasure could they obtain from manipulation. So we think of a manipulation with narcissism being, again, about feelings and getting people to feel a certain way, and with psychopathy, getting something material. The next area would be a lack of empathy. And this is one area where I do think the expressions of lack of empathy or callousness are very similar from a narcissist over to a psychopath. I don't really see many major differences. There are some subtle differences, but essentially I view these as similar. Both narcissists and psychopaths have a capacity for empathy, but both don't use it because they rank empathy as not important. They rank other people's feelings as not important. So again, mostly the same. The same thing I'd say for superficial charm. The expressions are similar from narcissist to psychopaths. Now how about dominance? Fearless dominance or social dominance? Well, I think this is really the key difference. I think for narcissism, it is social dominance. It's coming into a situation like a meeting at a workplace and trying to take charge socially, not physically, not really trying to harm anybody. But with psychopaths, it would be more of a fearless dominance. It would include potentially a willingness to be involved in a physical confrontation. So if someone's 
purely narcissistic, and they try to be dominant, and they're confronted, in many cases they would back down. Not always, because again, there's a lot of overlap between narcissism and psychopathy, but in many cases the general tendency would be to back down. They're only looking to be socially dominant. If the same challenge was made to somebody who is primarily psychopathic, a lot of times they would engage. They would engage in aggression. So the fearless dominance there isn't really hiding some other emotion. They really are willing to follow through and attempt to be dominant. Now the last area I'll cover here, features that appear in both but manifest differently, will be pathological lying. And I think this really follows the same theme that I've used for all these other characteristics. With narcissism, the point of the pathological lying is to inflate someone's ego. The lies are unnecessary in terms of material gain. So somebody's saying how they know a bunch of famous people, how they used to be famous or they are famous, how they're destined for greatness, all of which, of course, could be lies or oftentimes would be lies. And they're really, again, unnecessary lies. They don't seem to achieve anything in the material world. But they're really done so that somebody can inflate their ego or self-esteem so they can feel better about themselves. Again, with narcissists, we think they're trying to protect a fragile sense of self, and pathological lying can help do that. With psychopathy, there is no fragile sense of self. At least that's not how we usually conceptualize it. So the lying is for a clear material purpose. It's to get something they desire, they want, they need, or some type of pleasure, like material gain, or as I mentioned, like romantic interest or attraction. So it's really, I think, very easy to define in a concrete way with psychopathy. The goal is clear. And with narcissism, it has more to do with their psyche, with their ego. So those are just some ideas, some potential ways that in certain circumstances might help to differentiate psychopaths from narcissists. Of course, the only way to really have a solid idea is to go to a licensed and qualified counselor. And they really have the training that helps them to distinguish these complex personality traits, especially when you consider co-occurrences and comorbidity. So co-occurrences with other personality traits and comorbidity with other disorders. It can become extremely complicated very quickly. But again, just a rough idea of some of the things that I've noticed that are helpful ways to differentiate them to some extent. What causes narcissistic personality disorder? Now, I'm going to refer to narcissistic personality disorder as NPD. And when we talk about causation in mental health, we use the word etiology oftentimes. So if a factor is etiological to NPD, that means we believe there's some sort of causal component. So when we consider narcissism, it's important to understand that narcissistic characteristics are part of normal human development. We would expect to see narcissistic characteristics in childhood and adolescence. So quickly, I'm going to review the symptoms of MPD, and then we'll get to the possible etiological factors. So with NPD, we see a grandiose sense of self-importance, fantasies of unlimited power and success, feeling special or unique, needing excessive admiration, a sense of entitlement, exploitive behavior in relationships, a lack of empathy or reduced ability to experience empathy, envy, and being perceived as arrogant or engaging in arrogant behavior. Not all of these symptoms are required 
for diagnosis of NPD. And not all these symptoms would be considered a normal part of development. But versions of these symptoms, versions of these characteristics, would be seen throughout development, childhood and adolescence, as I mentioned. So when we talk about etiology, it's first important to understand that we don't really know what causes really any mental health disorder. We have a lot of theories, and the evidence lines up with some of those theories fairly well in the case of some mental health disorders and not as well with others. One of the problems with narcissistic personality disorder is that there's not really a clear definition of what the disorder is. Now, the DSM has a clear definition, but not everyone who conducts research on the causality of narcissistic characteristics agrees with that definition. So there are essentially three popular theories about the causality of NPD. The first is that it's inherited. We call this heritability. And when we look at mental health disorders, it's not unusual that a percent of the contribution is thought of as genetic in many cases. We look at this as heritability versus environmentability. The amount of variance that can be explained by genetics versus the amount of variance that can be explained by stressors or the environment. So when we look at NPD, the heritability is somewhere between 40 and 65%. So there's a fairly significant contribution from genetics to the development of NPD. The next area is the structural changes or differences that we see in the brain. A lot of studies have been done using equipment to scan the brains of individuals with NPD and individuals who don't have NPD and look at the various differences that might be there. Now, one of the problems with these studies is that there have been some structural differences identified, but it's not consistent across all presentations of NPD. Now, the differences that have been identified are related to areas of the brain responsible for social behavior and emotional regulation, which would be consistent of our understanding with what we see in NPD in terms of the symptom criteria. The last area of potential etiology, of course, is the environment. And a lot of focus with NPD is on experiences during childhood. We see certain characteristics more associated with NPD than others. So whenever we talk about etiological factors and mental health disorders, we're oftentimes talking about associations that we see. Just like the heritability and the brain structure, it doesn't mean that genetics or the brain structure cause NPD. It just means there's an association. And the same is true with the environmental factors, including the experiences in early childhood. However, some of the factors that seem to have an association with an increased risk of developing NPD would be a situation where a child receives a lot of praise, excessive praise, and also excessive criticism. So there's not really much area in the middle. We also see lack of parental empathy as a factor. Praise for abilities or appearance instead of other characteristics, and an emphasis on status or achieving success, meaning an emphasis created by the parents imposed on the child. Other potential etiological factors include emotional abuse and neglect, and we see these for a number of personality disorders and a number of mental health disorders that are not personality disorders. So emotional abuse and neglect seem to cause a lot of mental health difficulties later in life. We also see with NPD overvaluation by parents. So repeatedly overevaluating 
the characteristics of a child without an emphasis on balance, without looking at some of the areas of improvement as well. So consistent over-evaluation. We also see inconsistent parenting, authoritarian parenting, and parents who don't supervise the child regularly, so a lack of supervision. Another theory with NPD is that it's caused by learned behavior. And this one is really consistent with the genetic piece. So what could explain the high heritability in addition to genetics could be that really what's happening is the parents of individuals with NPD would be more likely to have narcissistic characteristics and the children are simply learning that. It's learned behavior. So they grow up learning to be arrogant, to lack empathy, to require excessive admiration, and the other symptoms we see with NPD. So it's important when we look at studies that examine heritability that we make sure in that research methodology that the research is accounted for the possibility of learned behavior. We also notice as a potential etiological factor that parents of individuals with NPD have a higher probability of being unable to recognize, name, and regulate emotions. So when an individual is growing up, their parents really couldn't identify and regulate emotions and teach the child to be aware of emotions. Now, this is really consistent with what we see in NPD. A number of individuals that suffer with NPD lack emotional awareness, not just the empathy piece. Usually we do see a deficit with empathy, but they lack emotional awareness in general. Individuals with NPD often find themselves looking to other people to help identify emotions for them. So again, this is quite consistent with the possible etiological factor of having parents that didn't do a good job identifying and regulating emotions. That whole emotional awareness component really isn't well developed oftentimes in individuals with NPD. So those are some of the possible etiological factors for narcissistic personality disorder. NPD is a destructive disorder. It comes with a lot of pain and suffering, not just from the symptom criteria, but also from comorbidity. We see a lot of other disorders that co-occur with NPD, most notably depression, anxiety, and substance use disorders. So it's important for mental health clinicians to continue to work to try to identify the etiological factors of this disorder. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.